Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Raking Coals. I am one of your hosts, Cody Haggard, and with me, as always, the one and only Josh Fauzi. Hello. And also another permanent member of the Raking Coals team, the man who is more than just an electrician, Sean Frost. Hello, hello. So I didn't want to make any electrician puns this week and make Josh, you know, angry because he doesn't like my puns. But, hey, I uh, I was reminded that I've been telling dad jokes since I since before I was a dad. So I have this friend. His name's Jeremiah. He's actually been on this podcast before. I couldn't tell you the episode. It's somewhere in the 20s um, off the top of my head. But anyway, we were trying to come up with nicknames for people my uh, sophomore year of college and he was a freshman and there's a post on facebook i used to refer to him as jeremiah i ain't no bullfrog and uh yeah that's just this this is from 2010 so i've been on the pun train and the ridiculous terrible humor for quite a while and so it looks like it's been there for a while and it's here to stay guys so that song's stuck in my head now. Thank you. I just got <laughs> dun, flower dun, dun, dun. out of my head, and now I got this stuck in my head. Uh, well, there's the it, there's other songs that if they were stuck in your head, it would be worse. Um, I don't know. Not, I, there's a there's a popular song going around that I'm not going to mention on this podcast that is extremely uh, dirty and. I Why are you listened, listening to it? Well, it was in the news and it was like all this craze and you know it was it was reviewed on a podcast that I listened to as a terrible awful song and it is just like completely vulgar and is one of the the worst really, It's one of the song? worst positions on femininity that I've I've heard in a long time. But uh, anyway, the the hook in it is is kind of catchy. Uh, it's just kind of like a catchy beat, and they're words I don't want in my head. So, <laughs> you guys, you guys, I'll tell you what it is off off the mics if you haven't figured it out yet. But anyway, don't you hate when that happens? Like a slightly inappropriate song gets stuck in your head. Yep. Oh yeah, definitely. Okay, I'm at least glad that it. Uh, it, it's not only me. I was really nervous. You guys were going to say, yeah, that never happens. Um, so it's like you go to the gym and they got screamo and stuff playing in the background and then, or like, um, hardcore rap. And you're like, Oh, that's going to be stuck in my head for the rest of the day. Yeah. I got to listen to something on the way home. <laughs> I'd be lying if I didn't say it was catchy. Right. Just right. because I don't like the lyrics doesn't mean that the beat's not good and it's not yep. a catchy thing. Like, you know, there was a time where I would have just said, like, God, oh, it's just trash music, right? When I was in my, you know, all popular music is bad phase. But now I have to be realistic and just say, like, it's catchy. Like Taylor mm -hmm. Swift songs, dude. They'll get yep. stuck in my head for for hours. But I don't really like them because I think that they're – I think Taylor Swift is, is, is always just glorified for her songwriting. And I'm like, I don't know. It's just okay. Does she even write all of her songs? I thought she, she does. She does. And I commend her for that. I think she does. Sean would know better than us because I believe his wife's a pretty big fan. Um, I don't know if she is. 
I thought she was. Just kidding. <laughs> uh, okay. I was going to say, I could have swore that we had this conversation like a long time ago as a group. Um, but okay. So she is a fan. 100%. Okay. All right. All right. So very good. Is she sitting next to you right now? No, she's downstairs. Okay. I was wondering if she came up. Guys, tell me a little bit before we get kind of going on our, our main topic. Tell me what's going on in life. What's interesting? We'll, uh, we'll flip a coin here. I'm flipping an imaginary coin. Bing. Call heads or tails. Heads or tails. Sean, tails. heads or tails. Tails? tails okay. Fail. It was heads. So, oh, Josh, you did you're going to go purpose. first. I didn't do it on purpose. I actually said heads in my head. You know, I didn't hear it. And you didn't. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it was in my head. Come on. So, Josh, tell us how you've been, man. I've been okay. It's been it's been kind of crazy. Um, just works the same. Still not allowed back in the office yet. Um, even though I did go two weeks ago because my the keyboard on my laptop died, um, so they had to replace it. But other than that, uh, just chucking along. Again, I, after this, I got to double check, make sure clothes still fit because we got a wedding on Saturday and I need to make sure I can still wear my wedding clothes. Okay. All right. Yeah. Suit or just a, sh- or, or shirt, just a nice shirt? Shirt pants. Shirt and pants. Okay. Yeah. I'm nice. not, I'm not related to the person and I'm not in the wedding party. So I'm going as relaxed as I possibly can. Now, what do you think about a sports jacket or a blazer? What do you think about rocking that? Is it is that ever your style or no? No, I've I've rocked the sports jacket before. Okay. I have one. The problem is, is that like so the sports jacket I have, I bought when I was forty pounds heavier, so okay. it needs to get altered. Um, right. So I'm probably not going to wear that this weekend. And if I'm correct, it's supposed to rain on Saturday. And I'm not sure Great. if it's about to our wedding or not. Mm. So that's that's something you'll want to figure out. How yeah, I really needed to come except when this episode gets posted, it's going to be the wedding would have already happened. So it's true. Well, it's well the wedding true. has already happened. Uh, they actually got married in April, and now they're doing the ceremony and the reception. So okay, yes, okay, and um. I got to ask you guys an opinion, Sean, before you get started here. While we're on the topic of clothes and blazers and sports jackets, I don't know why I'm saying blazers. I I feel like nobody wears blazers. But sports jacket and jeans, yes, sometimes, or never. What do you think? Is is that your style, either one of your styles? No. Okay. Okay. I would love to rock it. I just think the you need to have some salt and pepper in your hair in order to do it. Okay, so you need you need to have a little bit more years. Yeah. Okay. I get it. Before See, it's acceptable. I, so I used to rock that as my uh, my Sunday best when I was uh, preaching out in you New not, Jersey. You were and, at a Baptist church. How is that acceptable? Oh, totally acceptable, man. What? Like my my sense of style was. Uh, was totally acceptable. now did you do full I, button down or did you do polo full button down for sure okay. i don't like how a polo looks with a jacket it doesn't look good on me I, okay. it might look good on other guys but it never really looked good on me okay um but 
yeah, I I used to rock that style, and and then somebody posted like a meme or something that said like never trust a pastor who wears a sports jacket and jeans, and so I stopped <laughs> doing it, and I was like, <laughs> was it somebody at like, your church? No, no, no. Oh, okay, um, it's like a Christian friend, but then I was like, maybe people think this way about you know, sports jacket and jeans. I just thought, like, for me, I actually thought it looked nicer than khakis or dress pants because they were, like, I would wear nice, nicer jeans, mm-hmm. and I just thought it looked better. But then, you know, <clears throat> you know, maybe people just have the perception of, like, oh, this is, like, some guy who's trying to be... Can you imagine if somebody from the church posted that as, like, a backhanded way to get to you? <laughs> yeah, that would be pretty <laughs> funny. That would be pretty funny. <laughs> but... <laughs> Sean, how about you? How you been? Uh, I've been pretty good. Been pretty busy. Um, it's uh, I had a it's, as I told you guys earlier, I had a fire alarm test today, and it was a hundred question test. They give you two hours to take it. Um, a day and a half ago, I learned that the information I was reading outside of the code book was outdated and incorrect, and People were failing the test. I got new information. I had a day and a half to study it. I took 24 minutes to complete the two-hour test, and I passed with an 84%. So very happy, very pleased with that. Um, And now we're just getting things in order. Um, Lauren's mother came over today. Uh, Her dad came over to help a little bit while I was away. And uh, they got some stuff around the house straightened up for us. And now we're just waiting for little David. Nice. Very um, exciting. Very how much longer? Exciting. Four some... weeks today is the due date. He's Snap. the 27th next month. It's coming up quick. Nice. That's going to be that's gonna be here in no time. And I've already given you my story about the day uh, Leo was born. So I don't need to terrify you about becoming a, bit, a dad because I already have. Yeah, it's made me decide never to have kids. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. Oh, Josh, you're a jokester. Yeah. You're a jokester. <laughs> All right, guys. So let's let's uh, get into our main topic. I guess I could tell everyone how my week was going, but, well, it's going well. It's how going are your good. ribs? Better. Oh, my gosh, finally. Like, this is the first week I've actually been able to sit back in my stool. So I'm back in the stool, okay. which is good for me because I actually I, I sit with better posture when I'm in the stool. When I'm in a chair, I actually slouch more. But in the stool, I sit up straight, which is good. And so I'm back in normal position. I'm feeling good. Uh, actually, I'm feeling really good, too, because so I took this week typically um, – I'll record like three podcasts a week. It's kind of getting nuts. Um, and I took I took a day off from the solo podcast I do yesterday just to hang out with my wife. I needed to do it, and it was a it was a really good choice. Um, so so I'm feeling really good coming into this, guys. I'm feeling refreshed. I'm feeling nice and energized. So I'm excited, and I'm excited because um, I just came across a topic that I think is interesting for us to discuss, especially in the realm of, uh, of the church. So as you guys know, I, I read a book called Range 
Why Generalists Triumph in a Specialized World. And it got me thinking of what we could talk about today. So yes, today for our our topic of discussion, I wanted to discuss the idea presented within the book Range, which is essentially uh, how gener- how generalists thrive in a specialized world. And I'm just going to go ahead and read the book's description here really quick. And, and just to give people a frame of reference is, what's the most effective path to success in any domain? It's not what you think. Plenty of experts argue that anyone who wants to develop a skill, play an instrument, or lead their field should start early, focus intensely, and rack up as many hours of deliberate practice as possible. If you dabble or delay, you'll never catch up to the people who get a head start. But a closer look at research on the world's top performers, from professional athletes to Nobel laureates, shows that early specialization is the exception, not the rule. David Epstein examined the world's most successful athletes, artists, musicians, inventors, forecasters, and scientists. He discovered that in most fields, especially those that are complex and unpredictable, generalists, not specialists, are primed to excel. Generalists often find their path late, and they juggle many interests rather than focusing on one. They're also more creative, more agile, and able to make connections their more specialized peers can't. And so that's kind of the elevator pitch of the book. Guys, what do you think of this idea just off the cuff? If you were to read the back of this book, would you think this guy's crazy? This isn't the way the world works? Or are you thinking that, yeah, I could see this being true? Go ahead, Josh. You go first. I think, uh, so it could be true. He'd have to really have strong evidence for it. But at the same time, it's like it kind of goes contrary to like everything else that you a lot of the things that I've read and I've I've heard. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I'm thinking like because for the most part, what I've read is like the, one of the biggest contributors to success in anything is making a conscious choice to be disciplined mm-hmm. and to to make a conscious choice of also being consistent. Um, which it, it like, it kind of sounds like he's, he's kind of arguing against it just off the back of the book. Right. And I think some of that, some of that is to get people reading, to get hooked because reading the book, I will say this, he's not anti-specialization. That's, that's the thing that needs to be stated out front is he's not anti-specialization. In fact, he kind of encourages people in a way to specialize at some point, but to experiment on your path on the way there. But before I talk more, Sean, what are your first initial thoughts from the book description? Um, My first initial thoughts are, I like it. Um, You know, I, you know, understand, you know, the, the concept of, you know, working hard at something and, you know, kind of becoming a specialist. I mean, that's kind of what I'm doing with, you know, becoming an electrician per se. Um, but w- w- one thing I, I, I like about it is so a lot of people when they push for certainly, you know, in their children into something, it's 
you know, it's to specialize in something. And it might not even be something one they enjoy or that they're even naturally good at. I mean, I think diversifying and opening your range, pun intended, to um, different aspects of life, different activities, different things, you know, you'll eventually... I, I think it makes it easier to find that thing that you really enjoy doing, that you really like, something you are naturally good at, um, and then you hit it hard. Then you kind of specialize in that, and um, you know it's it's not you know if you pick three sports, for example, football, baseball, basketball, you might you know, and that's what you know you're encouraged to specialize in because that's what's you know readily. Uh, available those might not be for instance the sports for you i mean you you would probably be a really good soccer player if if you took the opportunity to uh extend your range and i like it i think initially it's it's great okay okay good um now i will say this the analogy he starts the book off with is athletes in his research, he found that a majority of professional athletes were not sole participants in their sport of expertise. They generally had a wide range of experience in a variety of different sports. Uh, and one of the prime examples that he gives is Tiger Woods, who started playing golf at age two, versus Roger Federer, who played many different sports before he decided to really nail down on tennis, right? He had a wide range of experience. And so what he does is he says, which story is more like the common athlete in professional sports? And based on his research, he found that a majority of professional athletes had a wide range of experience before, um, you know, honing in on their specialization. Another example is Steve Nash. Steve Nash, who is a two-time NBA MVP. That's basketball for anyone who's not familiar with the NBA. But um, he never played basketball until he was 13, which is, by all records, you would consider that to be a late bloomer. Too late. But he was an avid soccer player, and so he played a lot of soccer. And um, you could just see that he had – and the thing is, is with this – generalist versus specialist talk is a generalist is still kind of getting expertise in a specific field, right? Like the field itself has commonalities, right? If you're an athlete, you're kind of within the realm of athleticism, you know? Um, it's not like, it's not like you're going from, you know, being a athlete and then all of a sudden because you're an athlete you're going to be a great accountant you know i mean that that's not necessarily the correlations he was making um but within kind of more of a general broad field you know when you kind of find your specialization later you can bring in all the various different aspects of the other things within that bigger field to be better at your specialization Whew. yeah it sounds very much like it's it's pretty much like do a lot of things find what you really love to do and when you do that that's going to be that engine that drives you to to go from decent to good to great right mm -hmm. um like i and like i have you ever read have either of you ever read the book uh good to great from by jim collins no 
Mm-hmm. Right. So in it, uh, one of the things that he talks about is, um, <clears throat> and I pulled up the, the quote for this conversation, um, but he says, when what you are deeply passionate about, what you can be best in the world at, and what drives your economic engine come together, not only does your work move towards greatness, but so does your life. For in the end, it's impossible to have a great life unless it's a meaningful life. And it's very difficult to have a meaningful life without meaningful work. And, mm-hmm. and in that, like, if you read through the book, it's all about why some companies go from good to great. Mm-hmm. And then some companies never make that leap, right? Mm-hmm. They're, they're good companies, right? but they're not great companies. They're, it's a good business, but it's not a great business, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and, and really what he, what he talks about in that book is like when you find what you're really good at, right? When you find what gives, and, and in the context of business, what gives your business like meaning, the business that you're running, what gives gives you that that meaningful life of work, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and you can get disciplined, and you're making that conscious choice of being consistent. Like that's really what's going to help propel you from good to great. Mm-hmm. And, and like, I kind of th- thinking about like, uh, I don't really agree with his argument between Tiger Woods and Federer. Granted, I didn't read. The book, sure. but like, I mean, Tiger Woods was at one point in his career the best golfer out there, right? Right, and he doesn't delegitimize that. Right, right, and I, I think I think what happened in Tiger Woods' personal life with his personal relationships and the the stuff that got him into a lot of trouble a few years ago, like I think that had a bigger impact on just how successful he's been recently. Mm-hmm. or at least over the past decade um, where like Roger Federer, I mean, he's just ever since he's entered tennis, I mean, he's just been propelling himself further and further up the, yeah. the ladder of, of tennis greatness. And I, I think that's, there is that value of going and do it. Like when it comes to sports, playing multiple sports, finding which one you really love and then pursuing that or when Mm -hmm. it comes to to like a career like i always like when i was working with youth i always said like before you pick a major if you don't if you don't know what you're passionate about now before you pick a major go to tri c go to a community college get your gen eds out of the way don't spend a ton of money going to an expensive four-year college like we talked about last week um last podcast but uh like go work a couple jobs figure out what you want to do what really interests you what what you can find meaning in and then pursue that right Right. um and then when you figure that out like okay i want to be an accountant okay because and i'm using that because that's my frame of reference it's like okay you're an accountant okay but you don't want to be a generalized like being a generalized accountant, being a CPA, those are great things, right? But like I've learned through my career and through the jobs that I've worked is like if you can be the best at a specialization, if you can be one of the like the top 
15 percent in the in the company or the organization about like what I, what I'm doing now is like project management system with accounting systems. Mm-hmm. So like if you can be really good with that, like people are going to know who you are and you're going to find yourself pro- getting more opportunities to excel and more opportunities to move up within the organization. Mm-hmm. Um, same thing with like my sister, like she, she wanted to be a lawyer. It's like, okay, well, first off, go learn something other than law because you don't want to do pre-law or pre-med as an undergrad, because if you don't get into law school or med school, you want something to be able to follow back on. Right. (laughs) She went mechanical engineering and it's like, okay, well you have this knowledge from mechanical engineering, like patent law would be a great specialization for you because if you go patent law, like number one, there's not a lot of patent lawyers in the United States. Uh, because mm-hmm. there's a requirement of having a scientific technical degree in your undergrad in order to become a patent lawyer. Mm-hmm. Um, but automatically, well, you've just taken your competition as a lawyer from millions across the United States to like, I think there's like, there's under 50,000 patent lawyers. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's just like, wow. well, now, now you've specialized in a place where you know that you're going to be able to make it, right? So, yeah, that's that's, I, that's my two cents on this. Sorry. Sure. Yeah. And so, a couple of things I'll point out to you that um, might help kind of paint the argument a little better is uh, he also points out a lot of Nobel Peace Prize winners. Um, and a lot of scientists who are leading in their field also have some type of artistic hobby. Um, and so it's not, and they're actually quite adept and good at their art, just as well as they're good at research and science. Um, so it's not so much that you don't hone in and learn your specialization as it is in the midst of specializing and learning and growing to be able to have a wider, more generalist mindset and approach your specialization through the lens of critical thinking and problem solving rather than um, strictly data and cut and paste type of thinking. Does that make any sense? Yeah. Um, So those aren't things that I would, those aren't things that he's against, right? Otherwise we wouldn't have doctors or surgeons or anything like that. Um, and we need those things, right? Mm-hmm. But yeah, I don't think he's anti, he's not anti-specialization. Just, I think he's trying to make the argument that you become better and you find what you're best at by broadening your education and your interests. And it doesn't always have to be formal education either, you know? Yeah. And and I, I think another way to look at this too. So if if you have like this, like you said, this more general um I forget exactly how you said it, but you it, 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 you open yourself up to innovation within your speciality. So, um, you know, I I think having that mindset of doing and exploring other things um, benefits you, you know, in that way. Like, um, man, I don't even know exactly how to articulate this. I'll have to think about it. But I think you I think you guys kind of understand where, you know, where 
where my line of thought is. It's, it's, um, you, you know, you're not just single minded in, in the one aspect, you know, your, your, your mind is open and engaged to other ideas and, 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 uh, other things. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and here's where I, t- I also find the, um, the book encouraging is in, so he wanted to start writing this book because he started meeting people from the Pat Tillman foundation and nobody, I mean, I mean, if you don't know what that is, it's basically, it's a foundation that helps army veterans find placement in a field that they would like to study after finishing the army or those who, you know, those who are going through a career change, right. Going from an army career to a, you know, a, a private career. And, and so what he kept finding as he researched people who transitioned and some of the successful business people around the world and successful artists, scientists, entrepreneurs, they all kind of came into that later in life and they brought in, you know, their earlier education or their wide range of experiences into that. And everybody who did that, everyone who specialized later in life felt like they were the exception to the rule, not the norm. However, what he kind of was finding in his research is that there's actually a lot more people with that story than the Tiger Woods type of story, if that makes any sense, Uh right? He's basically saying that Tiger Woods is the exception, not the rule. Whereas, you know, the Roger Federer experience might be more common to people than they think. And I think it's kind of meant to be a source of encouragement for people who might just feel like they're stuck, like, man, I chose the wrong thing to study or man, I didn't, you know, I didn't um, do things right. Right. He's combating against the sunk cost fallacy, which is basically like I've spent all my time doing this and I have to stick in it in order to get the most out of my money. And the reality is, is no, you've already wasted that time. You've sunk the time in it. If you want to do something else, you want to turn your life around, go do it. Right. You, you know, and, and you, you know, getting people out of the idea that you can take that experience with you and go do something different. Um, so, which, which is kind of interesting. Cause like you all, like that, that fallacy you see all the time where you have people who are just miserable because it's like, well, I went to school for this. I'm going to stick with it or else like I, it's not worth like all of that wasn't worth it. Right. Um, right. And I think the other thing too, is like, we we live in a culture too where it's like we're so scared of failing um mm-hmm. like people people stay where they are because if they were to change in any way for whatever the situation would be whether it be relationships or career or education or whatever it's it's that thought of well i just failed i'm a failure i didn't live up to the expectations that people had for me right Mm-hmm. Well, are are you pigeon towing yourself into a situation that you're never really going to be successful in um, mm-hmm. with that mindset? And I think that's it, it becomes a mindset issue a lot of times when it yep. comes to just that fallacy. Sorry. Yeah, yeah, for sure, for sure. Um, I can, I can, I just for me, this book hit home because I relate highly with the sunk cost fallacy. 
I relate highly to thinking that at age 29, almost 30, wanting to do different things with my life, telling myself, now nah, I'm too old. Um, and this book kind of encouraged me that, well, based on research and information, that's not necessarily true. Mm-hmm. Like, I could still be successful in the things I want to be. I can take that experience and that knowledge, that education with me, and it could potentially be to my benefit because I might be able to cross pollinate, you know, different mm-hmm. fields, different studies. And I still think, I still think like kind of contradicting the book, I still think when you specialize early in, for example, you spend the time, you get through med school, you become that doc, you're going to have a good life, you know? <laughs> but the problem is you have to get through mm-hmm. and you're a different person at age 25 than you were at 18. You're a different person at age 30 than you were at 25. Mm-hmm. And, you know, they are big life decisions that you have to make and at a very young age. And so I think this kind of goes hand in hand with our question of if Christian college is worth it or if college is worth it. And I think the ultimate thing is I do think education is important, but what's also important is get educated and spend the time learning. Like, don't just like pay the money just to get the degree because the degree does nothing for you if you don't learn, right? Like it's the application of that study that matters uh, and also avoid the debt, right? Avoid the debt. Don't, don't get the debt. Trust me, I know about the debt. It stinks. And I encourage absolutely nobody to allow it to happen in their life. I know it seems near impossible, but mm-hmm. find, find ways to do it, you know? Um, or minimize and- the debt. Right. Yeah. Minimize it as much as possible. You know, if you if you finish undergrad and you have to pay, you know, a couple hundred bucks a month coming out, you know, that's manageable. But if you're talking about having to pay five hundred and fifty, six hundred dollars, seven hundred dollars in student loans, like I've heard horror stories about, it's impossible. Mm -hmm. You can't like unless you unless you are making you know, a, a decent salary, you'd probably have to be making like in the seventies coming out of undergrad to really be able to afford those loans, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, but anyway, yeah. Anyway, uh, anyway, how, how do you guys think this idea, um, sold on it or not? Do you think that this is an idea that we should be approaching within the local church? trying to give people a wider range of experience in ministry and 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 how we educate them because I feel like we kind of go the Bible study only approach but we don't really do like Bible study and theology and church history and mixing you know contemporary music with hymns and all of this like do you think that the church could benefit from trying to give people, more wide range of experience and education and opportunity. And I think, you know, even on an individual level, maybe your church isn't doing it, but you as a Christian, maybe you try and have a wider range in your faith instead of just doing the same old, same old. Or what do you think? Stick in your flow, get really good at it, and you'll be the best person at Bible study on the planet. What do you think, guys? Go ahead, Sean. Uh... I don't, I, I kind of, you know, just like I said previously with, with other things in life, uh, I think we should apply it to church life as well. Um, you know, 
yeah, bubble or bubble. Ugh. Bible study is great and all, um, you know, but there's other things that people could be doing that people would want to do. And they might not necessarily want to be really good at Bible study. They might want to be really good at, you know, something else. They might want to dip and dabble into different things and find somewhere where they fit. If if you imagine yourself, and, and again, this might be a terrible analogy, but just pop my head. If you imagine yourself as a puzzle piece, you don't want to be forced or force yourself into a, a spot where you don't fit. Um, mm-hmm. You, you, you want to be into where you where, where you are naturally molded into somewhere where you actually fit. You know, um, I think we absolutely need to apply it to church life. Okay. All right. Josh, what you thinking? So there, okay. I'm going to address ministry and then church life. Cause I think they're two different things, right? You have ministry, which is like, what's a church's, goals, objectives, how they affect the community as a collective. And then you have church life, which is how how that is perceived and viewed through the eyes of the individual at the church, right? So as a ministry, like, we've talked about this before. Like, I, I really wish that churches in local areas would talk to each other. Um, and and the reason why is that like, I would love to see churches going, figuring out what's the thing that they can do that, that, that they can do to impact their communities and the people around them the most effectively. Right. And then partnering up with churches who can, who are effective in other areas. Right. So you have this church is really good with reaching out to the high, to the school district, to the kids in the school district and their parents and the teachers, right? And then we have this this church, which is really good about reaching out to the homeless and to the um, the the people who are in need. And then you have a church that's really good about interacting and and really engaging people who are moving into that community, right? Um, and I, we've talked about this before, but it would be like, the way I see it is like churches figuring out, doing a lot of things to find out what's, what are they most effective at? And then drilling down on that and then finding other churches and partnering up with them, just like Paul talks about when it comes to the body, right? We're, 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 we all aren't supposed to be doing the same exact thing because we all have different purposes. Um, Mm -hmm. And I think that applies towards churches as a collective group. Um, and and uh, like we, I, I can't remember what episode we talked about it. It was it was one of the early ones, but it's just like, how awesome would it be to see a community of churches working in the community, like, and really, and if someone who comes with a heart for like helping the homeless and working with the underprivileged goes to goes to a church that's really good with working with students and young people. The church that's working with young people says, "Hey, 
you'd fit in and you'd be able to do a lot more over there and, and being okay with sending that person to a different church because that's where that person's called to be. Right. Um, but when it comes to the church life and, and being a Christian in a church, I think one of the best ways to really get engaged with your, with your community and with your church is to serve and to, to actively be working with the church in the church. Um, and, and what you need to do to do that is, and do it effectively is try out a bunch of ministries, try them out for a month. Okay. Um, go help out, go to men's ministry and help lead a Bible study or, or shadow the shadow, the person who's leading the Bible study, go to kids ministry and help out there for a month. Go to youth ministry and hang out with the teenagers. Go to the young adult ministry if there's a young adult ministry. Go to the whatever. Find mm-hmm. where you're passionate about and what really gets you gets your engine going. And then go all out and, and work in it because that's where you're going to find yourself, not, number one, most effective towards the kingdom and the kingdom work in, in your church. But it's also going to... I mean, it's going to keep you engaged and it's going to, it's going to allow you to impact the lives of the people that you're serving. Right. So Mm -hmm. that's my two cents. Yeah. I mean, what do you think about, so another idea that is explored with, with range comes out of an actual Seth Godin concept. um, Tribes. No, not tribes. Actually, uh, another um, thing that Godin has talked about kind of related to the sunk cost fallacy is that we're told time and time and time again, right, to persevere, to, to stick with something, to never quit, to never give up, never surrender, right, kind of the, um, the mentality of Churchill. But I'm trying to remember what it was. Like, we always forget how that, that quote ends. Um which I can't remember off the top of my head, but at the same time, um, he talks about the concept of knowing when you aren't, when you don't have the right fit, knowing when it isn't a great fit to actually be smart and wise and get out of something you don't like and move on to something else proactively. And that's actually what's best for learning. So for example, a ministry that you try and you give it a fair shake, right? It's not just you show up once and then you never come back, but a ministry that you try and you give it some time and you just say like, Hey, this isn't for me. You know, um, it's, it's not a bad thing to say like, okay, I'm going to go try something else. I think a lot of times, um, it doesn't matter. It could be a church thing. It could be a ministry thing. It could be a Bible study thing is that, we stick out we stick with something till we burn out and then we burn out mm-hmm. and then we never go back whereas if we would have just called it quits at the right time we probably would have found something else to get involved in and probably would have been better at that thing uh whether it's a, a ministry or a group right or, or you know like a men's group versus a young adults group versus a a service group versus a missions group whatever it is um and I think that's 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 actually to me, I think that's kind of good advice as much as we are kind of like 
don't quit mentality type of people, it seems to actually serve people better when they just know themselves, they're self-aware enough to be like, this isn't my thing, but try something different out. Unless, you know, what do you guys think about that idea? Well, I, f- I found the quote. Okay. Very quick. So uh, the quote is, and it is Winston Churchill. It says, never give in, never give in, never, 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 never in nothing great or small, large or petty, never give in except to convictions of honor and good sense. Never yield to force, never yield to apparently overwhelming might of the enemy. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Because that was put put out, except for in situations of honor and good sense. Right. Um, and I think that, that's, that's important yeah. to that that good sense is really important because it's like mm-hmm. there's a lot of times where people they won't step away because of the like a sense of honor like i, I need to honor this ministry because i've been in it for so long right and then mm-hmm. it, but it's that good sense part where it's like well if this isn't the ministry that you're supposed to be in if this isn't what you're called to do if this is not where you're the most effective like you might actually be doing more damage than good. So it makes yeah. sense to walk away. Yeah. I, I'll be the, I'll be the first one to say, and Josh, you know this cause you witnessed it. I stuck with something too long to, mm-hmm. and it got me to the point of burnout. It got me to the point of, of anger, fatigue, and, and it wasn't healthy. Mm-hmm. Um, you, you know, and, and I can speak honestly to that. Uh, well, what about you, Sean? I mean, you and Lauren, you were part of the youth ministry for a while. You got to a point where you guys felt like it was time to step away. Do you guys think you did that like right at the right point? Did you maybe wait a little too long? What do you think? Um, well, for us, I think we, I personally believe we did it at the right time. I mean, it was okay. something that, you know, leading up to us leaving and making the decision we didn't really make the decision just the two of us. I mean, we, we Mm -hmm. prayed about it. Um, uh, and we just felt an overwhelming peace about it. Um, and you know, with discussing what was going on, um, at the time, um, with our life, our church life. Um, and like I said, praying about it, it just felt like the right time. Um, Mm -hmm. I don't, I don't think we should have done it sooner. I don't think we should have done it later. I think it was the time. Um, and, you know, that's just, you know, the way at least Lauren and I try to a- a- approach things. Um, it's, you know, I'm not going to let anybody force us out of something. I'm not going to let, um, you know, negative opinions or or outside people affect the things we do um and in like churchill's uh quote it says you know never you know give up you know except to convictions of honor and good sense i think leaving it up to god and uh praying about it and discussing it with my spouse is doing that and um i i I do think it is very important to 
never give in, uh, you know, never give up, you know, but, you know, if you're not, if you're doing more harm than good, like, like, like you said, you know, that's, that's, that's dangerous. It's, it's, it's not something you should. And, and, and it's not that you're giving in or giving up. It's just, you're, you're accepting the fact that, you know, this particular thing isn't for me. This particular thing isn't something I should be doing. And it might not even be, you know, permanent, you know, like right now, Lauren and I, for example, we're not doing children's ministry. Mm-hmm. Um, and just because we left one, that doesn't mean we are disqualified from doing church ministry elsewhere. It's just at that point in time, it wasn't in our cards. We didn't have the optimal hand to play. So, um, yeah, I mean, I think giving it up to God, praying about it is the way you should go about those types of decisions. Amen. I totally agree. Um, I completely agree with that. All right. Another question for you guys. In, in your life that you can remember, what do you think is a time where you feel that knowing an aspect of a different ministry than the one you were serving in, maybe you served in a specific ministry in the past, or maybe you studied something in the past, or maybe you had a job in the past, where do you think that that past experience helped you out in either the current ministry you're in, or you can just say, your a ministry you were in was influenced by experience from either a different working experience or a different ministry. Can you guys think of any concrete examples off the top of your head? Hmm. That is an interesting question. Um, I don't. There's nothing that really comes to mind uh, right now. Um, I don't know, Josh. You got anything that you know that popped in your head? Oh, I'm I'm thinking. It's like work, um, work wise. Like, so I used to work at the airport and dealt with a lot of people, a lot of shenanigans over there, right? And um, there was there's very much a a mindset that was instilled when it came to just how you interact with people and the public and a lot of things and how you go about doing your work and the attitude that you should, you should have when it comes to the work. And, and that was, it it was, that was instilled like through coworkers and supervisors and just lessons learned from there. And, and then going and then, going to where I am now in my last assignment was working for an office in the liaison's office and dealing with different groups with within our organization and groups outside of our organization. And really it, it was interesting because a lot of the lessons learned from the airport and a lot of this, a lot of the stuff that was learned there, like was directly applicable in that position, in the liaison's position, because I mean, mm-hmm. you're, you, you, you have to always remember, like you're doing like 
especially in government, is there's a purpose for everything that's done. Okay. And if you ask a couple questions, you can primarily find out the root the root reason for why something's done a certain way. Um but at the same time, it's like when you find out what the reason is, that allows you to look at different ways of doing it and still achieving the goal of that original reason, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and, and it was just like I found myself in a bunch of situations where it was just like, why, like, why are we doing something this way? And and and, and talking with people internally within our organization, like, why are why is this process the way it is? Are the people that we are serving are saying that it's not it's not doing what it's supposed to be doing it's not as effective as they want it to be how can we do this differently so what's the real reason why your the work is done in the way that it's done and and like that was something that was really that was an important lesson that I learned and that's just and that kind of also correlates to, to church like when you when you talk to somebody and you, and because I remember like sitting in ministry meetings it's like why are we doing this why are we doing why are we teaching in this manner well this is what we want to do you okay so that whether it be like why are we using the curriculum that we're using uh, that was a question that was brought up um, probably last year at a ministry that I was working with that I'm, I'm involved in it. And it's just like, why are we using this curriculum? Well, because it, its objectives are to teach Bible, to teach kids how to read the Bible, to, to help broaden the, the children's overall knowledge of what's in the Bible. Right. Mm-hmm. It's like, okay, well, we've established that this curriculum does not do what we wanted to do. So what are different ways that we can, we might be able to leverage the curriculum and still achieve the, the goals that we have. And, and something that ended up coming out of that is like, so we went from, we, we'd follow the plan of the curriculum of the passages, but each person, there was a rotation of leaders who would write out lesson plans from scratch every other, like for the, their assigned week. And it was, here are the goals structure the lesson so that it hits all of those goals in a way that's easier for the kids to understand that (laughs) allows for the time that we have um it's just like that's it's a it's something that's super simple but at the same time it's like it can it really allows you to be flexible and, and and it keeps you goal centric and and really trying to make sure that you're getting to the um, getting to the root of the matter that you want to address. I'm sorry, the dog is in my face with a tennis ball right now. <laughs> <laughs> no worries. Uh, so that's that's what I got. Sean, you think of anything? Um, yeah. So. Uh, one big thing I see at work is, you know, um, I'm going to kind of rag on, um, you know, the IBEW a little bit, being, you know, because I've worked on both sides. I've worked non-union and, 
you know, now I'm in the union. And I know I'm not the only one to do this. I'm not claiming that. But, you know, this is just me speaking from my perspective. So you can tell or I could tell very quickly the difference between the two and the fact that you can tell who negotiates um, their contract and who doesn't. Um, And, you know, there, there is kind of a sense of, you know, some people would rather complain in their job site or, you know, complain about this and complain about that, whether it's, whether it's for the job site at the company or even with the union as a whole. And, you know, one thing I've learned from previous experiences is that's not going to solve anything that doesn't accomplish anything. And, you know, um, that's something I've learned, you know, from other jobs and other workplaces. Um, you can complain all you want, but it's not going to get your job done faster. It's not going to make your job safer, easier, better, you name it. You're just complaining. Um, and I don't know if this is off tangent or not, but um, that just kind of popped in my head when you were discussing your work I- experiences and how previous experiences kind of helped you manage um, current work experiences. Um, and I just, I don't know. There's there's a lot that goes with how you approach things. You know what I mean? Um, so I, I don't think people, you really, I, I think people react more on emotion, uh, than they do actually thinking, thinking things through. Yeah. 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 I would say in, an area where, you know, especially if you are, if you're a believer and you're involved in a ministry in your church. It should also help you in the workplace. I mean, because when you come to church, you should be coming with the mentality to serve and a mentality to be kind and represent Christ. And you should be doing the same thing in the workplace. And, you know, one of the things that I would say with my, you know, seminary education that was very beneficial is I studied a lot of, and I guess this is kind of starting to get into specialized specialization, but I studied a lot of like interpersonal communication as I, you know, studied the sermon preparation and teaching and all of that. I found that, um, it, it was, it was very helpful to have, you know, studied, interpersonal communication, the art of rhetoric, all these things. And it actually helped me in my workplace quite a bit as far as like building relationships. I would consider myself to be a pretty decent culture guy. Um, You know, I, you know, having those soft skills, right? Like critical thinking, problem solving, communication, like they can actually get you pretty far in, in a job, you know, if you know how to do them, right? Because it's actually you could probably learn the technical skills faster than you can the soft skills of like knowing how to learn and solve problems and communicate and all of that. Um, Cause those are things you spend your whole life working on. But uh, you know, I think another thing too about 
ministry experience is that I think it's really good to have served in multiple different types of ministries, if you can. Um, I know for me, having a background in being a children's director and a children's ministry leader, it was really helpful when leading from a youth pastor position or even a bigger leadership position like an associate pastor because I always thought of people coming into the church, how their families were being served first. Most pastors who are senior pastors have never been a children's director and they don't understand the job and they've never had an interest in understanding the job, which I think is so sad. And and kind of having an understanding for that job, you can understand how to be a senior pastor a little bit better because what you really want to do is you want to focus on those family programmings. The children's ministry is way more important than your men's breakfast. Like, no offense um, for all the men's breakfast lovers out there. The children's ministry is more important. It serves more people. It serves the entire family, whereas the men's breakfast really only serves, you know, the the men. And And I think that it's really important to try different things and to also realize that the experience that you bring to the table from your workplace can be valuable too. I know from having worked in the secular world as a pastor, I was able to understand people in the congregation a lot more. So when I was writing a sermon, I could really sympathize and empathize with what the average individual was probably going through on a weekly basis. I mean, you know, I, I don't want to you know, toot my own horn here, but I always got a lot of compliments on my sermons. And, and I think the reason why they were effective with people is because I was just a guy. Like I was just a guy, right? On a weekly basis, just going there, um, going to work every week and preparing a sermon, you know? And I think sometimes pastors don't live a normal enough life. Like there's, there's a life inside the bubble as a pastor that I think is it's good that pastors have that opportunity, but it also, I think it, it makes it harder to be effective and relatable, you know, uh, just, just kind of my thoughts. Yeah. I mean, I, I get that. I mean, because at the end of the day, you know, a lot of people forget that, you know, pastors are, you know, they're just members of the church too. They're, they're people just like me and you. And, uh, you know, they're, they're kind of, unfortunately, sometimes for some people, it seems like they're kind of placed on a pedestal where, you know, where they shouldn't be. Yeah. And I think, and I think sometimes pastors allow that self, allow that to happen to themselves where they feel like they can never let their flaws be known. And I think that that's a lot more damaging because when you never let your flaws be known, it means you kind of, you you hide those things. And then I think eventually what you do is you end up with a Jerry Falwell Jr. type of situation. <laughs> and I'm not saying that that happens to every pastor. It doesn't happen to most, but it's really hurtful and it's really damaging to the whole church when that type of stuff does happen, right? When, I, and I think it all starts with the pastor putting his himself on a pedestal and allowing the congregation to put himself on a pedestal. That's a dangerous place to be. Uh, in a place that you should quickly try and climb down from if you're a pastor. <laughs> uh, yeah, you know. I, I mean, it, it's interesting because I've been a, been to a few churches, visited a few churches where like the, the main selling point is their pastor. Right? Mm-hmm. 
Mm-hmm. It's just like, you should come here. We have this great guy who's like, this is, it's our pastor. Or like, we have a, we have a church here who there's a pastor who's, he has a program on the radio every week. And like most of the people I've talked to who go to that church, it's very much like, yeah, but we have this person. That's why you should come to our church. It's like, mm-hmm. yeah, but do you do anything in your community? No, we have a great pastor. And it's like, okay. But uh, going back to your, the, the original statement of like knowing, like, for, like with you, Cody, like, going from a children's director uh, from children's ministry director to associate pastor and understanding like how important children's ministry is. It's also like, I I remember going from working in youth ministry and working in children's ministry and seeing the biblical illiteracy of the teenagers in youth group. Mm -hmm. And, And really that, that really, drove down like and changed how I taught children's ministry because yeah. you want it. You, we wanted, I was getting so frustrated with the, the high schoolers not knowing even where the books of the Bible were or even how to use their Bible or read their mm-hmm. Bible. And, um, and, and going and talking with the children's ministry director and saying like, Hey, this is what's up. We need to do something because they're going to the next season of their life and they're not prepared to, to move outside of children's ministry and and just being able to work in multiple ministries and and see different perspectives and and see what's what the other ministry is dealing with um and how the original ministry kind of fed that like it allows you to go back to that original ministry and say like hey these are the issues they're seeing in the next level up right so how Mm -hmm. can we help them by addressing it here um, mm-hmm. and, and I think unless you're like, if you, if you're a children's ministry worker, who's never, ever interacted with the youth in your church, you never know if they're taking anything from children's ministry and, and using it when they get to youth ministry. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. and then when you're in youth ministry and you're dealing with the youth group, but you've never worked in children's ministry, you don't have any understanding understanding of what they've learned before that so you get like this inappropriate expectation that they should know more than they probably do right um and that goes that goes into like men's ministry and and if you or men's and men and women's ministry or young adult ministries like if you've never worked with the youth like you don't understand what they went through in high school because guaranteed their high school experience was different than your high school experience. And if you're Mm -hmm. never connected with that other ministry, you never really understand fully like what's going on in yours. And one thing I'll say too about something that helps, that's going to help any individual connect with their own people they're ministering to say you're ministering to children say you're ministering to youth this is going to sound like a really weird thing and i wish i wish i would have done this more early on and in fact this is kind of something i've kind of developed after kind of being out of ministry for a while but i do a lot of writing this is gonna sound weird this is gonna sound super weird i do a lot of writing and a lot of my writing 
I'm writing stories about what life was like as a little kid. And it's bringing me back into the mindset of what it was like to be certain ages. And this might sound weird, but just to take some time and just maybe write a little journal entry or just think about it. But like putting yourself in the mindset of a little kid, if you're going to be teaching children's ministry, is really helpful. Like it's helped me communicate with my kids better. It's helped me teach them things better, talk to them better. Because at the end of the day, even though I find it's really frustrating that they don't do certain things I want them to or they don't listen to certain things I want them to or or behave in certain ways I want them to, I've taken time to remember what life was like at that period of time because I'm starting to get, they're starting to get to the point of where like, I, I do, I remember being six years old. I have a six-year-old now. There's things I remember, not a lot, but there's things I remember. And and so I can understand the goofiness and the and the silly things. And it's helped me be able to laugh at the things they think are funny. And so I don't know, like, I think sometimes in as leaders, we want to be leaders so bad that we never think in the mindset of people who follow us. And if people who follow you are kids or teenagers, you got to think like them. You always have to be more mature. You have to be the adult in the room. But it does help a lot to try and think uh, like a younger mind because the reality is you think way different, you know? Um, Absolutely. And I, I think we kind of touched base on this before um, on an earlier podcast about telling uh, Bible stories. Um, yeah, we did. And, you know, I, I, I don't know if you guys remember, but, you know, when we first came on uh, – I don't know. Well, I might have expressed it to you guys. I know I expressed it to Lauren and to my mother-in-law and to some people. Um, But, you know, I had a real genuine fear of teaching um, for the first time. And it was in two parts. One part is obviously I don't want to misrepresent the Bible. And I don't want to teach something that it's not. Um, and, uh, the other part of it was, is, you know, I want to know details. I want to be in depth, you know, I want, um, to like really hit the thing that, you know, we're studying or, or discussing. And so I had a hard time, um, for, you know, keeping it simple. Um, for 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 the group I was teaching um, because they you know they don't have the mindset that I have and that could be you know mainly because you know we're dealing with the youth versus someone at the time in his late 20s you know where we're obviously I want to get more out of uh, you know th- I think it was what John chapter 4 um and you know i wanted to like know everything about it you know or you know or all that i could possibly take from it at 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 that time and you know so yeah i think it's very important to you know know your audience and you know remember like you said you were six once Mm-hmm. And you kind of mm-hmm. had to place your mind, place yourself in the mind of a six-year-old. Like, what is going to impact them, or get my point across, or you know, 
help them understand. And, you know, by helping yourself, you're helping them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree. I agree. All right, guys, we're getting into um, the hour 15 range here. Um, well, we'll be a little shorter than that since we're cutting some audio. But let's start talking about um, – let's kind of wrap it up. And here's kind of what I want to want to wrap up with. You just kind of give – you give any type of advice, any type of good word that you want to leave with. Uh, for me, I'll be real quick with this. On the, this will be on the topic of range and expanding your range. Um is as a Christian, I think it's important. I'm a big believer in taking the time to slow down and and read. Obviously, you should be reading your Bible, but you should be reading other things as well. I encourage people to read. They alternate. Alternate nonfiction and fiction. Alternate reading a Christian-based leadership book versus a secular-based leadership book. And Josh, maybe you want to chime in on, on what you're reading there too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because like... I'm reading through um, The Dichotomy of Leadership, which is the second book from uh, Jocko Willink and Leif Babbitt, Um, which, I mean, honestly, it's those two books alone are great leadership books to read. But, I mean, there are other books like Good to Great by Jim Collins, which is if you go to business school, you hear about it all the time. Um, There's there's another book – I. I mean, there's so many books out there about leadership and about organizational structure, organizational behavior, how to run a business, how to how to achieve goals, how to how to build like I mean, Atomic Habits is one of them, Um, Mm -hmm. how to how to build habits that are going to help your life. Um, And a lot and all of them aren't Christians, like labeled Mm -hmm. as a Christian book, but I mean, we, we kind of had the conversation before, but it's like, I, I feel like we do a little disservice to ourselves as a church by not encouraging people to go and read those resources. Um, right. Because there's a lot of great things that are directly applicable to the church as an organization, to the church mm-hmm. as a business. And it's, you, you need to know it. I mean, we talked about Seth Godin and mentioned like his writing when it comes to marketing and how to get people to buy into what you're, what you're, what you're providing them. Right. Um, Mm -hmm. tribes being probably his seminal work at this point of his career. Um, Mm -hmm. uh, and it's just, it's interesting because it's like, I mean, you guys have heard of 75 hard, right? No, not so. Okay. Okay, So it's a, it's kind of like, it's kind of weird. It's like, it's a 75 day challenge to get yourself to a mindset and a, a tenacity that you're like, nothing can which, um, shake you as a person. Um, and, and one of the requirements in it. So like the way it works is like, you have to hit all seven of the daily tasks, um, each day. And if you miss one on one day, you have to start on day one. Okay. Mm-hmm. day one of 75 and one of the things is read 10 pages um and it's supposed to be like an entrepreneurial um like business leadership type book um but part of that is like how many people read 10 pages a day of a book mm-hmm. i mean yeah, that, yeah. that's like it, 
if we're not reading, we're not learning. That's kind of the, my mindset, right? So mm-hmm. you should be reading. And uh, and with the challenge, like, it's it's actually extremely difficult. But uh, audiobooks don't count. You have to actually physically read, right? Um, but, yeah, no, I, I think, like, when it comes to leadership. Why don't audiobooks count? Because it's the, there's that reading a book and reading the words off a physical page connects with your brain differently than listening. So you're more likely to remember what you read and process that information more effectively when you're reading it as opposed to listening to it. Because when you're listening to it, you could be running Okay, going on a jog, driving your car, you you can listen, you can hear the book, but you might not necessarily be listening to the book. The other thing too is when you read a book, you can highlight, you can underline, you can annotate, right? You can write down notes in the margin of the book if it if mm-hmm. you own the book. Okay, don't sure. do it in a library book. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Take advantage of your local library, by the way. It's a fantastic um, resource utilized. But it's something that you can you can use in other ways that audio just doesn't allow, right? Um, sure. So I, I think I think in some ways I think in some ways though um, that there are certain people who can can actually listen better than they can read. Some people get more distracted when they read than when mm-hmm. they listen. I think it does depend on your personality. Absolutely. Well, like, I I listen and read. So mm-hmm. yeah. Like, yeah. Like uh, dichotomy of leadership, which is I'm almost I'm like 20 pages away from being done with it. Um, like I will listen while I'll read and listen to him essentially narrate the book. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. But then at the same time, too, it's like sometimes I don't have enough time to really sit down and like, I, OK, I don't make the time to sit down and read. So I'll listen to it while I'm waiting to for to go to the gym or while i'm yeah like in the while, while i'm at the store i'll have my headphones in listening yeah. to the book because yeah. why not sure. right um it is it is hard to make the time though like yes. it really is it, it's not easy I, I don't think that you know i think a lot of people who don't read as much as they want to isn't necessarily just because they're lazy but mm-hmm. it is hard to make the time you know yeah. it is it's tough yeah but like i a, the book that I was thinking about, Nick, I couldn't remember. It's called The Goal. Um, and it's all about how to use like Lean Six Sigma mindset stuff when it comes to process improvement. In Ooh, how you have to talk about it. What? Oh, <laughs> Lean Six? <laughs> okay. Yeah, um, not right now. Not right now. <laughs> okay. Okay. Because I, I have thoughts, but that's me. So I can't record my thoughts. <laughs> <laughs> well, you're dealing with it on the production side of it. I'm dealing exactly. with it on the project management side of it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And I, my, my opinions are my own. Okay. <laughs> anyway, that's what I got. I think, I mean, there's so many great resources out there and so many great books. Um, like the, um, like the one book last book I'm going to mention is like never split the difference. Um, and it's all about negotiation and how, and it's written by the FBI, one of the FBI's top negotiators in the FBI's history. That sounds and, interesting. And 
what's it called again? Never split the difference. Um, it's a fast. Okay. Oh my goodness! It is like I would listen to the audiobook before I bought the book, and um, it, and it's just interesting because like he he talks about verbal cues that people use he talks about how like what what mirroring is and how you can use it in a conversation to reassure somebody that you're actually listening to them and you are empathetic to what they're talking about and then just like how do you how how do you take a how do you negotiate something when both both groups don't want to give um and and it's like that's a book that honestly like you you could pay two hundred dollars for the master class by somebody else. I mean, that platform going through that platform, but unless you're reading it and you have the book in front of you, like, like it, here's a, here's essentially like a guidebook to how to negotiate something. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. So yes, yes, no, that's, nice. that's what I got. Nice. Just added it to my good reads, my gotcha. good reads want to read list. And uh, I don't know if you guys use Goodreads. Yep. Any listeners? Any listeners? If you use Goodreads, you can uh, hit me up with a friend request. My name's Cody Haggard on Goodreads. Cody, are we and friends we... on Goodreads? No, we're not. I didn't <laughs> I've know never you heard of Goodreads. This. Oh yeah. Oh. Goodreads is like a social network for people who like books, and it's amazing. Mm-hmm. Like you can look up, like it shows you like quotes, like people mm-hmm. will like bookmark quotes in their Kindle and stuff. And it'll show up there. Uh, I'm looking you up right now. Yeah, I'm going to look you up. Look me up. All right. We don't need to, we don't need to be talking anymore about Goodreads. You can follow myself. I don't know if you can follow Josh. He didn't say it, but you follow me if you want. Um, I'm always looking forward to connecting with people on Goodreads. For me, it's actually how I find out about the, a lot of books I want to read. It's like this awesome community of like, Oh, Hey, my friend's reading this. They gave it this review. And I'll check it out too. Like it's really cool. I like I like Goodreads a lot. Um, but anyway, Sean, hit us with your your final closing words. Something something good you want to take us home with? Um. Well, let me just. I mean, we got to hear. Uh, you know, some Goodreads from Cody and Josh. Uh, unfortunately, I don't do much reading. Um, but when I do, um, it's it's more so school related because I'm still in school, obviously. Um, it's electrical theory. I'm getting into motors and motor controls and a lot of stuff. So um, it's, it's, it's not really me reading at a pleasure. It's more uh, um, obligation. But I, I, I enjoy it because mm-hmm. it relates to my career field and I enjoy being an electrician and I enjoy bettering myself. Um, I like, you know, reading um, constitutional law and case studies um, and stuff like that. I don't necessarily open up a book. I might research something online. Um, I am not on Goodreads, but maybe, <laughs> maybe I will check this out and you guys might see me on there. I don't know. Um, but like I said, you know, I don't really do much reading. Um, so, I would like to change that. I would like to expand certainly with my son on, on the way because, you know, I, I don't want to, you know, you know, I want to be a, an open-minded type person when it comes to him, you know, you know, I want him to be able to explore his interests, 
you know, uh, I want to explore his interests and be engaging. And, you know, if that requires me to do some reading, you know, research topics, find out things he's interested in and stuff like that, then obviously I do want to get better at that and kind of broaden my horizon and expand my own mind in that aspect. So you might find me on Goodreads soon. I don't know. We'll see. I mean, if I could give one tip of advice is, and it's, it's not necessarily to always be guilt tripping yourself, but something I've started doing, like if I sit down and I sit down in front of the TV and I'm going to watch something on TV, or if I'm going to, um, you know, just be vegging out and playing a video game or whatever, you know, I first have to ask myself, like, did I, did I spend time with God today? Mm-hmm. And then if you can answer yes to that, it's like, okay. And then you got to ask, should I be reading something instead? And I understand you like, you get tired and, and sometimes you'd be like, no, nah, I'm just going to chill. But it's at least one way to like keep yourself accountable. Like every time you turn on the TV, be like, should I be reading instead? And it's just kind of like a way to just remind yourself like, oh, hey, books exist. Um, <laughs> yeah. Because that's 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 an easy thing to do, right? It's just easy to forget that you know books exist, especially if you're not doing a lot of reading. And um, you know, if you want any time, man, you, you're interested in in picking up something to read, you can come over to my house, raid my bookshelf. I've got <laughs> more, I've got more books than your average human, so feel free anytime. Yeah, and uh, and the, the the funny thing is too is so I've always talked about I want a bookcase in my house in like an office and unfortunately I've only ever really referred or thought about putting books that are electric uh, related, you know, uh, collecting code books from, um, you know, every single year because it, you know, the code updates every three years, you know, collecting that or different theory books and stuff. I never considered just like casual reading fun books you know maybe maybe i just have like this stigma that reading you know because i limit myself to reading out of obligation um or for school i kind of have like this preset uh notion that reading isn't fun and you know maybe by you know getting on this app or rating cody's uh bookshelf it might help open me up to the idea that you know you can read for fun yeah i mean i i think too like especially i i had this period of time where i went through and i read a bunch of the classics and like i think a lot of times we want to read what's familiar and so like if there's a brand new reader like who's just kind of picking it up casually for the first time i'm not gonna say like go out there and pick up robinson crusoe i mean that'd be terrible like mm-hmm. he, you wouldn't like it <laughs> you know so what that's I, actually the first book i've ever read front to cover that's <laughs> that's a it's a it's a great story for like 1650 or whenever it was actually written um it was written quite a long time ago but um you know i think there are a couple of things too like you know for me i've been reading a lot of um, humorous fiction recently and it's just it's a lot of fun to read a book that's funny because a mm-hmm. book that's fun 
is way different than anything else that's funny. It's way different than watching stand-up comedy. It's way different than, uh, you know, a funny movie because comedy and humor in a novel is a way different structure. And you can almost kind of make a way more ridiculous parody that wouldn't work as a movie. Like if you saw it playing out as a movie, you'd be like, oh, this is dumb slapstick comedy. But Mm -hmm. when you're reading it on page and if someone is like a good, there's a good wordsmith, you just die in there. Like you can hardly make it through. It's it's pretty fun. Like <laughs> whenever a book makes me laugh out loud, it's pretty uh pretty impressive. I think I I think after hearing, you know, you you talk about this, I think I found the root of my problem. What's that? You, you know, bringing up Robinson Crusoe. You know, so I read that book when I was in like the fourth or fifth grade, um, which it. At that level, I don't remember it being really that easy of a read. Um, but then again, I don't really remember much of, of of the book. But I do remember that I picked up the book because you guys in in grade school did you guys have accelerated reading? Yes. No. It it had some points to it, and I was trying to get some points. <laughs> so that's. So, that, so that's why I really read the book. And let's just say I didn't get any points because I failed that little accelerated reader test. I didn't comprehend anything out of that book. And that probably scarred me. Yeah. Yeah. It's funny. I I always wanted to be in the accelerated reading program because I wanted to feel like I was smart. And I never was. But the thing is, is that I actually always... I always liked reading ever since I was a kid. I was probably liked it more than the average kid. Mm-hmm. Um, still to this day, I do I do read, but being in the accelerated reading program, it kind of I was never able to to score it. I don't know why, but <laughs> you, you you wait. What was accelerated reading for for your school? So basically, if you exemplified some type of. Um, better reading comprehension you got to go to like accelerated reading time where you got to like leave your class and you got to go read and do smart things with this smaller group of people where they would read harder books or whatever and i always wanted to be in it but i guess my teachers never thought i was qualified okay mine okay and and accelerated reading or accelerated reader probably is the wrong name for it but mine was actually different so mm-hmm. what it was for us was the library had books that were, I mean, it was still kind of like a program, but anybody could participate. And books had points assigned to them based on value or, uh, okay. you know, and it, not value, but uh, reading difficulty. So, you know, smaller books had lower um, score points and you know harder longer books had higher scores and basically what it is is you got prizes and stuff for reaching certain levels and i mean there were some hardcore readers that were mm-hmm. and cody i kid kid you not you would have loved it you know if you love to read and you picked up book after book after book you got a lot of good prizes um they really <laughs> incentivizes bleh, I'm, I'm just going to skip over that word for now you know, reading books and it, uh, you know, like I said, that's why I said Robinson Crusoe was like a, 
I, I believe a relatively high point book. And, oh, yeah, and, as it should be. <laughs> yeah, and you you didn't get, you know, so I, I wasn't competing with the big dogs. There, there was there were some readers out there I just couldn't compete with. But when it came to my friends, because we didn't do a whole lot of reading, I'm like, you know, they're reading a bunch of like smaller books, you know, just to rack up a lot of points, you know, get a lot of quantity in. And I'm like, I'm going to hit them with one book <laughs> and get more points to them. And boy, did I fail. <laughs> Uh, it's a tough read, man. It's a boring book. It just is. I'm sorry. It was, it was very boring and I don't recommend it. Um, I would say for the average fourth or fifth grader average. Absolutely not. It is a, that is definitely a high school or higher level read. Um, also I believe it, is I mean it's worth the read because I think it is touted as the first like Western novel. Like obviously there's tons of stories, tons of books, but it's kind of the first that was that novel genre, that really long form singular narrative. Um, I believe it's that's at least what I think it says on the back of my Barnes and Noble Classics version of it. And uh, <laughs> whether or not that's true, <laughs> but. Anyway, yeah. Um, anything else you guys want to say before we head out of here? Nope. Nope, I'm good. All right, guys. Well, I'll take us out this time, unless one of you guys wants to do it. I heard you're pretty good at it, Cody. Okay. Well, everyone, thank you so much for listening. As always, you can always head over to our website, e43collective.com. Where you can check, where you can catch up on the Raking Coals podcast, as well as if you just cannot get enough of podcast and you would love to hear Sean and Josh babble on about a wide variety of topics, check out the After Sunday discussion while you're over at e43collective.com. I think you would have fun listening to them talk over there. And also be sure to follow us on Facebook and Instagram, the E43 Collective. At E43 Collective, you can follow us and stay updated. We are giving you encouraging Bible verses each and every day. And if you feel like commenting with your own thoughts, please do like and comment on the photos that we share. Uh, again, if you guys have any interest in following me on Goodreads, you can look me up, Cody Haggard. I'd love to get in touch with you. Other than that, guys, we hope you have a fantastic week and a blessed day. Bye-bye.